Helo a chroeso i bodlediad yr Academy Genedlaethol ar gyfer arweinyddiaeth a ddysgol yng Nghymru. Podlediad sy'n rhannu materion ac arferion arweinyddiaeth allweddol ar draws y sector addysg yma yng Nghymru ac yn rhyngwladol. Hello and welcome to the podcast from the National Academy for Educational Leadership in Wales, a podcast that shares key leadership issues and practices across the education sector here in Wales and internationally. Hi, I'm Nia Miles, Innovation and Wellbeing Advisor with the Leadership Academy. This episode features Di Rees. Dai is an authentic, humanistic and values-driven leader with 22 years of practical experience in senior strategic leadership roles at all levels of the education sector as well as professional sporting environments. He has held positions such as teacher, head of department, faculty head and campus director along with roles such as chief operations officer and international sports coach. Dai thrives on the challenges of leadership development and managing people with core values of love, respect and moral courage. This podcast is from the Series 4 of the Leadership Unlocked webinars. Um, I'm everyone. Um, it's fantastic to be able to start the meeting, uh, opening up with that bit, a little bit of Welsh. Um, it's a long time since I presented to such a eminent group of individuals and particularly in Wales. I've been away in Hong Kong for, for many years, so thank you for the welcome. I wanted to kick off today really by talking to you a little bit about the session and I'd like to make it interactive and I'd like your permission to do so um, and also just please remember that everything is welcome um, so meaning that you don't need to participate you don't need to offer any suggestions please fe- feel free to feed the questions into to the uh, chat room but also feel free not to um, engage in some of the things I'll ask us to do including the one I'm going to start off with. I think it's important when we start each day that we get grounded. So what I'd like you to do now, I'd like you to sit in your chair, feel nice and grounded, and I'd like you to just draw your attention to your breath and just check in with your breath. And I'd like you to start a cycle of breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. And I'm just drawing your attention to the breath. Now, breathing is one of the, the sympathetic nervous system's automated um, uh, automated uh, conditions of the body. Um, we don't have to think about it, but it is the one that we can change very quickly and we can adapt very quickly. The only one probably in terms of speed. We can quicken it up. We can mediate it. We can increase it. We can decrease it. We can use it to to meditate we can use it to um bring our heart rates down but we can make a change immediately to our breaths to affect our um bodily functions and our energy and decrease in stress what i'd like you to do now is stay in touch with our breath and i'd just like you to count for five breathing in through the nose and for five exhaling through the mouth just pausing slightly at the bottom of the exhale and the top of the inhale. And I'd just like you to do five cycles of that. I just would like you to close your eyes now for the next two or three cycles.
And as you're breathing through it, just check in with any feelings, any sensations you may have in the body this morning, up early, any stress that's been caused, you just check in with the body and just ground yourself. Just check in with it, acknowledge it and move on. And when you've done that, if you have closed your eyes, just open your eyes. So fantastic. I'm not suggesting you do that, but that's a little technique that you could use at the beginning of leadership groups uh, and with staff and even students as I do um, to get some attention, some grounding. What I'd like you to do now is just thinking about this session, I'd just like you to pop in the chat. Um, on a scale of one to 10, how present are you at the moment? One being, oh, I shouldn't really be here this morning. I've got other things to do. Um, oh, I can't concentrate, the phone's on, uh, I'm sat here. So you're not very present. And 10 being, yep, I've given myself space for two and a half hours now, and I'm gonna just engage and I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna be present with this presentation and my fellow colleagues across. Well, that's fantastic. Eights, eight from Lucy there. Fantastic. A couple of sixes, a bit lower. And that's fine. Everything is welcome. Remember, Neris at the seven, Claire, Emma at the four. That's an interesting one there, Emma. Helen down at the three. It's interesting. And what's lovely about this, guys, is that everyone's being vulnerable and authentic and honest. You may not realise that, but you're being very open, particularly if you're, if you're sharing honesty like Helen has there on the chat room and shared at three. That's all this is doing, guys, is just everything is welcome and it's just bringing your attention to whether you need to be present, whether you don't. I'm not demanding that to this morning. It's just making you very self-aware um, of of um, this morning's session. Just with this slide on, and you're probably reading it, but I'm struggling a little bit this morning in terms of I'm very much someone who likes to connect and I'm conscious I'm speaking to 100 people and I like interaction and I'm going to be speaking almost, I feel, to myself um, through the session. So I've turned up with a particular feeling and a particular um you know bodily uh feeling and anxiety or wherever it might be but i'll share that so just ask you the question how are you choosing to feel today as we start this session how do you choose to feel when you get in the car in the morning ahead for work because it is a choice it really is a choice and i love the graphic um where you get up and do you choose a mask are you choosing to feel that feel in a particular way and but internally you're feeling differently, so you pop your mask on. So I'm just asking you to consider that as we move forward into this presentation. And so how am I choosing to feel today? Sometimes I feel it's not a choice, um, but it is. It is my choice. So I really want to keep this, um, this session real. I want to really keep it authentic. I want to share my journey with you as a, as a, as a leader. Um, but I am nervous. Um, I feel as though I'm in the company of very experienced leaders, and I am in the company of very experienced leaders. And so I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm also excited, a little bit like I was excited in that picture there where we 
we managed to sneak a win over Wales at the Hong Kong Sevens when I first started working out in, in Hong Kong. I said I have a smile on my face, obviously being Welsh. Who am I? I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a brother. I'm a friend, I'm a Boy Scout. I was a Boy Scout for many years. Um, I was in New Moria when I was six. Um, an athlete, a teacher, a coach, a captain, a humanistic leader, I like to feel. More humanistic than ever in my latter years of, of, of leadership. I'm a family man, you can see pictures of my family. You can see my sister when I was at Cumcan Comprehensive many years ago. Um, why do I bring that to your attention? I bring it because I think it shaped me as the person that I am today. Uh, and certainly it is shaped me in terms of the upbringing that I had into the leader. So I grew up in a, in a small village community in Abakan, in the valleys of, of, of Gwent or Monmouth, it was, was at the time. I feel very privileged and not because of the monetary aspect of growing up, but because of the love, the trust, the village community and the friendships that I built up in Abakan. Um, my grandparents lived in the same village, so I was from a very small and, and, and tight community. Uh, and so I feel very privileged to have had that upbringing. However, my upbringing has had a profound effect on my leadership. Um, and here um, I go into maybe some controversial comments. Um, having lived outside Wales and looked back in for 12 years in Hong Kong and been, been outside Wales and done leadership roles both in Wales and outside um, Wales. I'm Welsh. I'm in, in Wales today virtually. Um, but that was my culture affected me. Um, it was really nice to um, see Damien Hughes last, Professor Damien Hughes last week talked about humility and being humble. And it was a key element of leadership. Um, growing up uh, in the Welsh Valleys, I felt we were, we were always told to be humble. We were always told to be, um, not to over celebrate. Um, our culture tends to be on the negative side. And I'll, come back to that with a little story in a moment um so it was really pleasing that Damien mentioned humility and equality that we need to bring to this session the learning cycle and so almost sums up what Damien said last week a willingness to stay teachable regardless of how much you already know and I think that's been I've been guilty of ignoring that in the past but it's certainly something that has been back into my life over the last five years however I feel my my Welsh upbringing as well has brought in the bipolar uh, elements of humility. And what do I mean by that? For me, humility, the way that Damien described it and the way we want it as, as leaders and, and particularly within our teams is centred and grounded and learning culture and acknowledging people. Around. So what are the bipolars? Well, decreased humility, we've all seen it. A sense of arrogance, inflated egos, a blame shame culture never taking ownership lacking ownership um a sense of learning a sense of non-learning thinking that we we know everything or thinking that people know everything so what do i mean by the welsh culture affecting me in leadership well the other bipolar um element of it i feel is that growing up I was never really allowed to celebrate individual success for very very long it was to move on don't get too big for your boots. Be humble. So there was a, an increased level of humility, particularly in my, my valley upbringing. And what did that create eventually, as I self-reflect? It created this sense of not being good enough. So when I would achieve something that I felt internally that 
was fantastic. That that celebration, that culture, the Welsh culture would keep that down and wouldn't allow it to come out and me to celebrate it for any length of time. So I became a situation where, you know, I'd be hijacked. I wouldn't be good enough. Um, um, and I didn't have self-belief for periods of my life. And there's still an element of it there. I, I tell you a story. I've just got a job back in Wales. and I'm really looking forward to coming back and uh, and starting a leadership role back in Wales. And uh, I, I shared that with my mum last week. It was now 83 and my dad. And, um, you know, I said, uh, mum, I'm coming back into rugby. It's fantastic. Um, I've got a leadership role. I'm going to be working with young men. And she said, oh, are you sure? Are you sure you want to come back into, into rugby? You know, you've still got two kids in, in full-time education. And with the pandemic, you know, it, it's no uncertainty. There's jobs being lost in rugby. And are you sure you want to come back in? And the teaching profession is far more secure. She didn't once turn around <coughs> and actually congratulate me on getting a job. I've been out to work for the last three months. Um, but it was sent with love. It was sent with a massive amount of love. I feel, felt my, sec, my, my emotions spike slightly, um, but being very self-aware, I obviously um, batted it away. And But it was sent with a huge amount of love, but it was that culture again. Mum was questioning my decision-making process. So as we move on, what do I feel I can bring to the session? I feel as though I can bring applied and experiential reality, and I love this quote which has made more famous in recent times by Brené Brown, um, with the, from Theobald Roosevelt. There's, there's, the long, uh, the, there's the longer quote on the right-hand side, but I'm going to keep it real. And why do I feel I can keep it real? I feel that I can keep it real because the credit belongs to the man or woman in the arena whose face is marred by dust and blood, who strives valiantly. I've been in the arena. Um, I've worked hard. I've pushed my edge. My ego's taken over on occasions um, and who at worst, if he fails or she fails, at least fails daring greatly. And I feel as though I've done that. What have I brought? I've um, I failed. I failed many times as a leader by pushing my edge into areas that I was told I shouldn't. <laughs> I've, I've experienced success. I've worn masks of masculinity. I'll come back to that a little bit more. I've allowed my masculinity, my upbringing. Um, to put masks on and, and dominate the space. And that actually made me quite ill at one time. Um, and I did, like everyone on this, this chat room today, I did um, to ignore and, and lead greatly. Uh, and an example would be after 14 years at college, Gwent, I progressed from a PE teacher to, to actually being a campus director at the Newport campus. And you know, I've told along the way that you shouldn't be applying for that role. You shouldn't be. And it was a graduated role. But when I got there, there was a sense of how the hell did he get the role? Um, he's a PE teacher. And so pushing my edge and pushing and working, I've had a journey both in education and I've done the same um, through high performance of sport as well as a, as a rugby coach. So hopefully I can bring some experience and some stories along. So. Having exposed that, I'm checking in today. I think this is, a, I, I use this quite a lot with my teams um, in terms, of, I'm going to check in with vulnerability. I feel as though I'm being very honest and open with people on you. Um, I'm anxious. I am a little bit anxious. I'm calming down now. I'm slowing down. And a little bit uncertainty of how people will receive when me and, and my session. But as a leader here, I'm being vulnerable, which I, I believe Bill starts to build trust up with people around me. I'm taking a little... 
<coughs> analogy from Brenny Brown's data lead, which I, you know, many of you have probably seen or, or read. Um, and in one of the opening chapters, she talks about her first um, her first meeting in front of some top military brass, and um, she was talking to one of the other speakers, and she talked to her husband, who's a psychologist, and he said, "Just just imagine them being naked uh, when you go out there, and just ignore them as top CEO." So I'm not going to imagine you guys virtually being naked in your in your various houses and classrooms. The the thought frightens me, um, but. With your permission, I'm not going to see head teachers, principals, deputy heads, heads of school, CEOs, business managers with MAs and PhDs. It frightens me. That frightens me. Um, so I'm going to see some of you I taught. I'm going to see you as the 16, 17-year-olds that I taught 30, 35 years ago. Um, I'm going to see you as your 10-year-old selves. Uh, and, and more importantly than most, I'm going to see you as a group of individuals who have really pushed their edge from your young days when you were students at university uh, or not, as the case may be, and you've pushed your edge um, by daring to lead. And I'm feeling that I can really connect. Um, another lovely book that I lead, Simon Sinek, um, Leaders Eat Last. Um, so now we're talking about, I'm going to go on to the main crux of the presentation, which is um, building your culture, which I've talked about vulnerability. Um, so Simon Sinek states that when the why, the how and the what is in balance, then we know who we are. So what I've sort of talked about, what I'm talking about here is I'm going to challenge you because I'm going to talk about aligning personal values to your culture in school or your organisation. And I believe that you, you as leaders and your organisation needs to understand and the, the people within the organisation, they need to answer these three questions. Why did we select the organizational values? So why have they been selected? What do they mean? Why were they selected? Were they just tagged on? Are they just nouns on a board or on the internet that represents a school and never used? How were they selected? Did two governors go into a room? Did the head or the deputy head or the management team select them and say to everyone, these are our values? And what do the organization's values represent? And I think it's important that you sit down and you talk to your teams to make sure that they understand these questions. So I'm just going to offer three pillars of the, the there's a couple more pillars that I've dealt with in shape in my own culture and I've shot different cultures over the years. Um, some of them have been very dictatorial, some of them have been very transactional instead of transformational as a young coach and young teacher. So again, I've gone along a journey of that, um, but in recent years of self-reflection <coughs> and attending courses like this um, and, and seminars and webinars and reading books has, has changed my perspective on leadership. So I wanna talk about the three pillars um, that I'm gonna chat with you about today, which is developing self-awareness, developing values, values culture, and particularly around this modeling behaviors, and then shame blame versus empathy and ownership. The first three areas I want to talk about in um, developing self-awareness is emotional um, awareness, understanding my personality traits and time and space. So I won't read the full, but this is the full statement, but this is my belief. Over the last few years, I really need to understand the triggers. I really understand my internal emotions, my inner psyche, 
my strengths and my emotions to be able to understand others. So when I have triggers now, I understand where the anger comes from. Does that anger come out in in terms of a situation that I'm in as a leadership, maybe in a meeting that my children have made me angry? My children made me, I made myself angry with my children. They didn't make me angry. But I, I take that anger into a meeting and it comes out in the meeting. Nothing to do with the meeting. So I really do believe that it, that emotional awareness is critical. If you haven't come across it, I couldn't recommend highly enough, which, which was a major one in terms of changing my perspective, um, this book called Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett. It's an American-based book, but it is absolutely fantastic, in my opinion, um, for setting a scene within schools, how the, how the leadership um, involvement in well-being and emotional awareness can only be, it starts at the top. It really, really does start at the top. And this could take, a, this could take you, your team, the, the students, parents through it. It's really, really worth a, a read. Um, and one of the things it deals with is how we express our emotions, how we recognize our emotions and, and how we label them. And, and I, I pause slightly there in terms of, you know, are you anger, angry or frustrated? There is a difference. Or do we just lump it in all to being angry? Um, are we sad or bored? There's a big difference. Are we nervous or irritated? Are we excited or inspired? Are we happy or proud? Understanding these nuances and understanding the triggers is, is very, very important. I'll pause there for a minute. What I'd like you to do is create yourself in terms of pop it in the chat room. Where do you think you are at as individuals in that scale of one to 10? How emotionally aware are you of yourself and people around you? One being not a lot and two being right up there, eight or nine. Fantastic. I scores eight sevens, Richard at seven. And eight, fantastic, Lucy, great. Thanks for sharing, guys. Nearest, Diane, all, I'm really pleased. And it's fantastic to see the scores up there. Thanks, guys. It's, I'll make a comment here. I was talking to Tegwin in the chat room before. It's very interesting, again, to observe today that um, that is two-thirds women and, and, and a third men on this, um, on, on this chat today. Um, and there's no doubt about it, guys, that the ladies of this world are far more um, emotionally um, in connection with their, 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 their being and their internal feelings than males. So we really do need to work at this area uh, hugely. I'm not saying all women are, guys, but I'm just saying that without a doubt, when I bring my female energy into play, I certainly am far more emotionally aware. Um, just another little exercise. Just check in for me with your emotional state at the moment. Just pop two or three words that describe your emotional state. See if you can describe it. Are you nervous? Are you happy? Are you content? Are you bored? Everything is welcome, including nothing. Just pop into the chat room how you are actually feeling at the moment. One, two, three words. Lucy, content. Great. Steve, twitchy. And there's nothing important here that tired, positive, light, but bored and tired. Fantastic, interested, positive, content, calm, frustrated. And it's just, this is really a, a little 
a little exercise again you can do to check in with your team. Now, immediately, there's, there tends to be a judgment with this kind of checking in. This is not for me as a leader. Do I become offended when I say bored, tired because I'm presenting? No, I don't. That's just a state of mind. That's an emotional check in by the member of staff, by the member of my team. What do I do about it? There's no judgment with it. It's actually raising the individual's awareness of where they are at. It's just a little technique that you may or may not want to work with. So moving on to number two, understanding my personality trait. And a little, little one, the ocean, I don't know if you've come across it, but the, the five personality traits being open, um, conscientious, uh, extrovert, agreeable, neurotic. There's just a little um, uh, framework there to remind us. But why is personality trait important? Well, again, I'll tell a little bit of a story here in that, you know, I grew up um, as a teacher, coach, high performance athlete. So my natural uh, working environment was very extrovert. Um, it was very out there. I had to build myself up. So people partied a lot. I enjoyed myself as a rugby player. However, what I discovered in later life, the reality of it was my 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 personality trait is more introverted. And understanding that then allowed me to get myself up. And why did I get tired when I were in high pressure situations? It was because my introversion, I was pushing myself. So I was an introvert in an extroverted role. So I pushed myself out of my comfort zone, which would drain me. And then that brings my, my, my attention to the restorative niche comment on the slide. And the restorative niche means that if you understand those personality traits, you're able to discover your restorative niche. So rather than, because I was an introvert in an extroverted role, my restorative niche was going out, walking, solitude, watching, just chilling out at home. It wasn't going out that some extrovert extroverts are, would want to go out and party to release. So when it was very important that I understood um, my, my personality trait. I think as a leader as well, it's important that you understand the personality traits of your team and the dynamics. Um, so an introvert, working with an extrovert uh, and and I've had those in teams of particularly night performance where we had a we had a um, an analyst who was very extroverted and his role was very introverted on his own on top of a gantry and we had a, a conditioning coach that was very introverted in an extroverted role which was damn to shout at guys and they'd finished the session Sparky on the top of the gantry would want to talk to everybody and, and Jordan would want to just switch off. And of course, on one occasion, they were walking back to the changing rooms, which is about a kilometre walk. And Sparky wouldn't shut up. And, 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 uh, and, and Jordan wanted a, a nice calming uh, walk back to the, to the changing rooms. And it ended up in a real big argument. And that was at the point they understood um, certain personal, each other's personality traits. And that's why I, you know, I, I would sort of recommend that you start to find out what sort of personality traits you've got in your teams and the last part of the self-awareness is um uh, time and space to reflect and develop um a self-integrating pre where we were talking about this um i was guilty of it in my younger roles um when i was a, a faculty head um i'd wear that uh, that badge of hard work i you know hard work makes it better time and I feel coming back into the teaching profession, and I might be speaking out the term here, but I'm in an independent school, which I resigned from. They just don't send all the time. Um, there's no empathy 
around the, the time and space that staff need. Um, uh, and I challenge you as leaders, how much time are you spending, are you giving um, to your staff to find their restorative niches during the day? Do you give them 10 minutes best and or are you really, really providing well-being platforms? Are you really putting an hour's space for the, your staff to, to recover, to talk, to, to engage? So I really challenge you to build that into your, into your different platforms. So moving on to the second pillar. So just developing the second area is developing a values-based culture and modeling behaviors. And again, it was great um, that that um, Damien mentioned the trademarks, which I'll come on to in a moment. So what I want to talk about specifically here is personal values, which are, you know, affect our ability to work and behave, which are inbuilt in us as we grow up, and versus and how you work with them within your organization's values. Everyone tries to align them. I'm not sure, well, I don't think it's possible to align everyone to the way in which you describe your organization's values and personal values. They are very personal. And come some agreed. So I think um, picking up on something that Damien said last week, I'm a firm believer that um, your values, your values are um, the behaviours when you're at your natural best. So the challenge for me in a leadership platform is how do we allow our individual staff and our individual team to bring out and develop a culture or where, where they can be at their natural best and they can work within their values. And I think it's through um, establishing trademark behaviours, which, as I said, uh, was fantastic to you, uh, Damien, talk about them last week. But before I move on to the trademarks, just pop in two or three of your values, your personal values that come to come to mind immediately when, when you think about your value set, your personal values. There's a firm belief out there that it's between three and should be between three and five. Anything more than three and five, I got three, um, you then start to overlap and you also start to lose focus. I work on three. Some say once you get to five, they're almost, particularly Simon Sinek promotes this, but research has said, and then you define your personal values. You make sure that you have a real definition, clarity on it. Fantastic, honesty, friendship, respect, happiness, kind, authenticity. All, all things that I resonate and relate to and a bit are inbuilt into my three values, which I'll, I'll, I'll share with you in a bit later. Loyalty, respect, kindness. So how do we link these to our organizational values, which have been maybe put down by us as, as senior leaders and or by other people before I got the organization. Um, well, first of all, for me, is there congruence between what you communicate and your behaviors as a leader or the head of an organization? So are you communicating clearly, but then are your behaviors relating to them? And your behaviors will be dictated by your values. So how do I turn up my happy, sad, do I turn up authentic? Do I turn up vulnerable? How do I turn up every day? Who am I? How do I present myself? Do I present myself smart? Do I present myself casual? Do I, 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 I must as a leader turn up the way I want um, my organization to behave? And how do I model these behaviors? How are they seen? Am I visible? Am I visible support in these behaviors? <laughs> and of course, there's a loop back then to um, 
reflection um, that we started off at the, with, with at the beginning, um, being very self-aware. So the final area I'd like to talk to about talk to you about about my leadership journey, and one that's really hit home in the last six months is shame and blame. And what I want to talk about in the teaching profession, I feel we're in a very privileged position, or I've been in a very privileged position as a coach and a teacher to affect the world, to affect young men, young women coming through our care. And we do live in a world where, where people believe that still, and I've witnessed it in the last couple of months, where they believe that shaming someone is a good tool for keeping people in line and, and, and creating discipline, particularly within schools. Uh, I've witnessed it recently. I delivered it as a young teacher. I certainly came to my teaching back in the 80s and I delivered it. I can see myself shouting at kids. I can see myself clipping kids across the back of the head. That was back in the 80s. Um, but I can see myself shaming, shaming kids um, and as a coach. I've actually asked some some of my old colleagues. Uh, I was quite quite pleased with uh, somebody that I worked with it in an outdoor pursuits environment. Said you were, you were fair and you were you were disciplined. They didn't feel as though I was shaming, but I I sort of did, and I certainly did as high performance coach. Um, uh, but then there was this inner part of me, and this is where I was wearing the mask. I would have a feeling of guilt, and I would always go and put my arm around someone, and I I guess that. That, that was the inner feeling I was wearing masks of how I should have been as a as a as a male teacher, PE teacher, and the way in which I'd come through the system. I was wearing those masks, and as soon as I took those off, my my shift between blame and shame uh, consider, altered considerably. I'd like to ask you a question: as a leader, liked or respected, just pop in a chat room. Would you prefer to be or not prefer? What comes first, liked or respected? There's no right answer here. Liked or respected? I'm really interested to see this now. It's interesting, that is. Keep popping them in, respected, respected, respected. Respected both. Got to choose. Got to choose. <laughs> As I said, there's, there's, there's no. And, and the, the, the interesting thing is there that that's followed the common theme within leadership groups. Most people, most leaders will go, particularly in business. I was wondering if it was going to be different in, in education. Most go for respected. Mine, mine is liked. And that personal connection, connecting to personal life, I think you become respected. So I, I, I like to build a rapport and build a uh, build um, connection, a deeper connection, spend time with my team to find out have they got any children? What do their partners do? Have they got any key issues? And I feel by spending that time, the respect immediately comes. Um, so it's just that's just me and I'm sharing with it. But I always tend to go in light. I used to go in boom hard when I was a young teacher. They've got to respect me. I now go in and try and create connection. Uh, as a leader, and I think the respect comes with 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 sharing that vulnerability and connecting at a, at a deeper level. So, um, just going back to sorry, just going back to the the blame or shame. It was as I say, it was very much part of my teaching journey. 
And uh, um, this, we all know that research tells us that shaming is highly correlated to addiction, violence, aggression, depression, de de eating disorders. This is this is proven uh, and bullying. So I still struggle to understand why we would want to be shaming type leaders or even teach it to student shaming type behaviors. There's no evidence to support that shame increases, you know, behavior or gets positive results. And I think our our we've got a moral ob obligation as, as leaders in education and in a in a people organizing a people industry where we, we have to show the moral courage to to speak up and to create an environment where we can still discipline and feedback, but we must ensure that we we say to our, our staff and our teams that shaming individuals is unacceptable that's my feeling on it um so i believe we should you know push empathy understanding putting yourself in uh in the shoes of your in the individuals putting you, you, yourself in in a position that they are in and and i can hear people saying well that's all well and good but you know we're in schools we some are in a city schools, some tough schools Others in schools where the students are good and you can you can be reasonable. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I think I don't want to go into it now, but we talk about the level of communication and ego states and, and adult to adult child. -to. I think we've got to try at all costs. We must try and get that adult to adult kind of conversation. Um, and I just offer up you. Um, I just offer up you a little a framework that I use in terms of negative and positive feedback to you. And there's a number out there. I just like this Biff because it deals with feelings. And so you start, how does it sound? Well, you've got a problem. You've got a student misbehaving. You've got a member staff. You've got a member staff turning up late for meetings on a regular basis. So you pull them aside and you say, John, listen, uh, for the last three weeks, um, it you, you haven't turned up on time for our management meeting. And, and it's having a bit of an impact on the on the meeting. People are unhappy. They, you know, they're busy people. But it is it is now starting to frustrate people, and they 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 starting to get negative thoughts of yourself. So, John, how, how can we how can we move things forward now? What are we going to do next week in, in 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 the meeting next week? And it allows then John to offer his his feedback. Hopefully, it would be positive. Well, I can't make it. He might even say. I can't make it because you got me working too hard. But offering um, John the ability to to offer a solution and or what the issues are for the future will allow that open dialogue to take place. And and then you can finish by saying, "How are we feeling now? How does that make you feel? Are you feeling more comfortable? We might have solved it, but you're asking, you're offering him that emotional connection with um, with what you've talked about. So I really believe that." Empathy and, and and ownership are the critical areas, not blame shame, um, in in our profession of leadership. I'll just finish off now. The last slide, last two slides. Um, I've been to many different interviews for coaching positions and teaching. Not so much in the teaching profession, um, but often the one in the coaching profession is okay. What's your coaching philosophy? And I rapidly discovered in the first couple of interviews that I struggled to answer it. I sort of knew what kind of coach I was, but I couldn't articulate it. Likewise, do we ask, you know, when you're interviewing and recruiting for teachers, do you ask, you know, what is your philosophy? Um, 
And so around this over the last six months, I started to challenge myself because I'm enjoying the leadership roles and, and sharing my story and my journey, um, whether it be in articles or on, on webinars like this. Um, I thought, right, you need to be clear on what your leadership philosophy is. And this has changed a few times over the last couple of months. But if you look in there, then you can see the gist of, of the presentation, emotional awareness and empathetic understanding of myself and others around me. There's my three core values, love, positive and negative, tough and hard love, um, trust, um, moral courage, not courage, moral courage, courage to speak up, to question, to um, to identify behaviours that don't fit into my value set or the organization's value set. And I like I'm huge on creating a psychologically safe space where staff can flourish. They can fail. They can they can try what they want. They can offer their opinions and they can flourish. Our team success is major is 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 measured not necessarily by outcomes, but the daily behaviors, the happiness, the the functionality, the productivity, particularly in a in a in an industry. And I'll come on to exam results and team uh, and 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 um and league tables a little bit in my summary. Uh, but I challenge you as organizations to look at how we measure through our daily behaviors. So with that, um, before you go to your breakout rooms, there's a lovely little graphic on the right hand side for those who would like to pick it up, creating a psychologically safe space where people can grow, allowing people to fail and think outside and just draw your attention to that. I know you'll have plenty to talk about, um, just some suggestions, um, emotional awareness and time and space. Really examine how much time do you give to your staff and students for space and time um, and to develop their emotions. Do you create space and time in your working week or are we just, as I've said, a badge of honour, get through to the eight weeks break, uh, eight weeks, you're not six like yourselves, or your, your half term. I was blown away by the fact that staff would say, come on, dig in. There's only six weeks to go on the first week back after a holiday. Um, I was blown away, but that's the culture. I really do believe that that's the culture that unfortunately I've come into. Um, and then I challenge you to be authentically honest with yourself. Why do you enjoy being a leader? Do you enjoy it? Are you still enjoying it? Or is it pressure? Or are you in the feelings, anxiety? And so why do you enjoy it? Because it's important you enjoy. We spend 70 to 80% of our lives at work. So it's important we enjoy it as a leader. Um, what does it feel like to be led and managed by me? What does it really feel like? Um, and But for me, by building up that light situation and that trust, um, I've got a team, I had a team of people in Hong Kong that, that weren't afraid to tell me when I was being a bit of a oppressive micromanager, they were they would feedback. How do I how, how do I define success as a leader? Um, what, what are the outcomes? What do you measure it by? I'm suggesting it should be daily behaviors, but that's me. Um, and how do how would I like to be remembered as a leader? And that's a big one for me. What legacy are you leaving behind at your schools, in your organizations? Um, as you move forward. Welcome back, everybody. Um, it's lovely to have you back with us, and I hope you had an opportunity to uh, reflect on um, Dai's presentation and uh, to sort of think about some of the things that he he, he said. Um, I know I certainly did, and I was certainly reflecting on actually the vulnerability of us as leaders and how we've all felt, I suppose, over the last 18 months when we've being pushed into a position and a situation whereby, you know, we've had to lead 
um, in, a, in a time when um, in dealing with situations, circumstances and issues that, you know, we've not been prepared for. So for me, that's been a huge challenge. And I've certainly felt that element of, of, of vulnerability. I was also reflecting, Di, on um, that sort of imposter syndrome. And I think maybe we've all <laughs> felt a little bit of that, you know, when we've got oh, a new yeah. job. You know, we're thinking, God, you know, I've, I've got this job and, and oh, my goodness me, you know, it's, uh, you know, am I really worthy of it? Or how did I get here? Or, 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 or how, how, how did that feel? You know, how, how, you know, how do I feel about that? And so I was just wondering, just to pick up on that imposter syndrome, I suppose, that, you know, what was the first thing that you did maybe when you had those feelings, when you got a new job in leadership? And particularly you talked about those feelings of, uh, you know, being a PE teacher and then moving into that leadership role and being maybe questioned about that and I just wondered how you dealt with that. Yeah it's a, that's a great question thanks Chris. I couldn't think it's funny I, I airlocked a little bit in the present I couldn't think of the term at the time which is imposter syndrome which I wanted to pop in there when you you've used it and certainly the imposter syndrome is is where I relate to that is it captures me when I'm not expecting it. I can be stood um, if I'm preparing for things, um, it doesn't catch me. Um, but if I, you know, I get a call to say I've let someone down um, or I get a, off the cuff. Um, I recently didn't get an interview for a particular job and it just caught me. And I thought, well, what have I done? I worked hard on the presentation. I but what have I done? No, I'm not good enough again. Um, what have I done about it? I, I don't think it goes away. Um, I think when I masked it, for many, many years, I put my masks of masculinity on and I trucked on through and I ignored all the, um, the negativity around the PE teacher becoming a senior manager. And the latest one is, you know, you haven't got an MA and, you know, how can you be a leader at the top of, you know, your game in education? Or, And I'm like, well, you know, I've got other qualifications, leadership qualifications. How have I dealt with it? I've acknowledged it. And the best way is not to, to deny it. And the biggest thing I've got... I work now um, on breathing. I work, work taking breathing classes, breathing and looking at regulatory um, things like walking the dogs, connection. What is my restorative niche? Um, it, they, they don't go away. The big one I'd offer up as well is loving yourself. So uh, we, we beat ourselves up. We beat ourselves up terribly as Welsh people We because of our culture. So we... We feel we're never good enough. And my my mum and my nan and my granddad, they loved me to bits. They loved always loved me. And, and it was tough love, I want to say. But at the time, I didn't know that. Neither did they. Um, so there's there's an element here for me of loving yourself, um, without a doubt. Without a doubt, my wife is a is a well-being uh, manager or counsellor in a school as well, and she. We often talk about it. She has imposter syndrome next level um, from when she was in school and not being liked by her friends. It goes back to when she was 11, 12, 13 years of age. So I think the key message, Christine, is to actually acknowledge it and chat about it and build that tight circle of support around you in your management teams. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. OK, I'm going to I'm going to move on and open up to some people who have got some questions. Um, I just to apologise um, because my Internet is playing up. So I am uh, working blind here. I can hear people, but I can't actually see anybody. So uh, apologies for that. But I'm going to move over to uh, Lucy Catherall uh, from Conway. I believe you've got a question if you'd like to ask your question. 
Hi, Lucy. Welcome. Hi, Christine Deal. Um, hi, Di. Thank you so much for this morning. Um, certainly resonated with me a lot of what you've said, and I'm sure it's resonated with uh, many of us on here today. Um, my question for you is, um, the last 15 months or so has been a very turbulent time for us all. Um, what's your advice for rebuilding staff teams and morale post-COVID? Thanks, Lucy. Uh, thanks for the question and thanks for the feedback. Yes, I really enjoyed the session. And yeah, the amazing part of it, I transferred back in the middle of the pandemic from Hong Kong and came straight back into teaching. And, you know, I've been out of teaching for 20 years uh, in terms of the classroom and on the field. And to come back into a pandemic when you guys were having to deliver online, um, the, the privilege you were able to do that, we were privileged here to have a full um, full delivery network. I just couldn't believe the pressure you guys were under, particularly as leaders and having to deal with the parents and the pressures that you've experienced. And it wasn't a lot being talked about in the press about the teachers, the critical workers, the NHS, the kids. And I kept saying, guys, you just don't understand the kind of pressure that the teams have been under. I, I'm going to go into a little bit of that kind of question in my my final thoughts, in actual fact. But for me, rebuilding those teams, the key is connection. Drop the internet, drop the WhatsApp, uh, and, and almost drop the figures. For a year, I couldn't believe people were saying, oh, we've got to make up the time. You know, the kids will recover, you know, particularly primary school, secondary, you know, a year out. You know, the, the biggest thing I can say is focus on the connection and well-being of you as staff create yourselves time and it's interesting I know it's, it's report time of the year now and I know you'll be bogged down I, I'm looking at staff when friendly with you and they are absolutely drained they just drained because they're dealing with the emotional side so as leaders I think if you're going to build your teams you need to show a bucket full of empathy and you need to understand the pressures that your staff are under to perform for you and that little bit of care and that empathy and, and, and understanding and just a meeting, just regular meetings to empathise. I've, I've got to say, shouts, as they call them here, you know, online Zoom sessions with your staff. Still, at this stage, there's no connection. There's no connection with the teams. So work within social distancing. If it's got to be pulled into groups of 20, it's got to be but pull them together. I can't emphasise it enough. Please, please, you know, become humanistic, reconnect at that level. And I think it's the same for the kids coming back in. Don't worry about the outcomes of the exams at the moment. And, and the senior leaders within Welsh Government that sh should be sending our message through to you as teachers for at least the next year or two. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. And thank you for that, Di. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to pick up on that a little bit. And it is about being kind to yourselves and to ourselves. And I think that, you know, for so long over the last 18 months, we've been on... Um, I suppose, automatic pilot in terms of systems and processes and organisations. But now I think it is time for that human and that humanity and that kindness and just, you know, building those relationships. So I, I think you're absolutely right, Di. That's so, 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 so important. I, I, if I can, I'm going to come to Gail next. Um, uh, Gail Harris, who works with the youth sector in Carmarthenshire. So, um, because you put your question in the in the in the chat, and I think that leads on quite nicely to this. Gail, would you like to ask your question? Thank you. Thanks, Di. Um, okay. I work for a charity um, youth organisation, 
Yeah. And, um, my my uh, line managers are a group of voluntary trustees. I just wanted to know who motivates you as a leader. Me. Uh, simply me and that's why I asked the questions of why do you lead I got a tingle in my body then when I that's a lovely question girl it, it actually said made me think well who motivates me and, and it really is me and this is the imposter syndrome all of it and in the last five years I've decided to have a different approach to care for myself I, I've been clinically depressed I've been on medication in the past in high performance environments in, in sport mainly the highs and lows of the journey I've suffered from quite severe anxiety attacks, which I, I just couldn't deal with. And so what motivates me, I found my purpose. I love sharing with groups like yourselves, just my journey. Uh, and also then I motivate myself. How, how do I show up some mornings? Yesterday morning I felt dreadful, but I recognised it. I did my breathing. Um, so the motivation for me is me. And then the, the people, people talk to me about I'm an umbrella type of leader. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I, I tend to protect my teams from the management above or damage. So they create that psychologically safe space, whatever team I'm in. So that's why I said I like to be liked. I don't mean I like to be liked, but I connect at that level. Uh, the way I understand the backgrounds of my teams and the people and what, what makes them function. So, for me, it's just acknowledging my leadership philosophy and living it. So that leadership philosophy I put up on there, I try my best all the time to live that philosophy. And that's why I got that statement. I've got my purpose statement now. Thank you, Gail. Thank you, Di. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I think that that resonates with all of us, actually, that, uh, you know, that, that we have to motivate ourselves as well. And it's the, uh, the passion that we have, I suppose, for that leadership role is really, really important. So, um, yeah, thanks for that. That's great. Um, I'm, I'm going to move on to change tack a little bit with, with Nia um, from the Leadership Academy. So Nia Miles is a secondee with the Leadership Academy. And I know, Nia, you've got a question for Di. Oh, thanks, Christine. Hi, Di. Um, Hi. I, really, um, I really love the way you talk about the importance of females in a leadership team to create that balance and dilute egos. However, we still continue to see male-heavy leadership teams. Why do you think this is? And how do we go about creating more flexibility within leadership teams to accommodate more females? Great question, Nia. And I love this. Uh, and i got to be PC here, I guess. First of all, ego's Okay. Uh, a, a controlled and a balanced ego, we all got them as leaders. It's a toxic ego that, that affects us. And um, let me talk about the male-female dynamic. Um, I wore masks of masculinity for many, many years. Uh, I was brought up, as I said, in a very alpha male environment, industrial village of, of Abakan, you know, two rugby teams, two mines north and south of the village, and you weren't allowed to cry as a man. You weren't allowed to show your feminine side. Well, on reflection, I was brought up by my grandmothers because my grandfathers were, were working. My dad was working shifts. My mother, so I had three matriarchs in my life who were female. And then when I analysed my school upbringing, seven of, my, seven of my nine tutors were actually wonderful ladies and women that, you know, informed... All my all my tutors or all my form teachers in comprehensive school were female. And so 
I I have a very I mean con and connection with my feminine side, but it was suppressed for so many years. Um, and with, with regards to the leadership teams, I think, and within the rugby environment that I've been in as well, and issues you bring a female into the leadership group, like a female physio, for instance, in a in an elite um, sports science group, the old dynamic changes of the male environment, that feminine energy, and I, I just guess the one thing that we've talked about is the ladies' lifestyle and you were mothers, lots of you were mothers and you, you, you have a different journey to the male journey. The male is there to provide and this is where the PC style, and so I'm not being sexist in any way here and a lot of you ladies' leaders end up with families, want to return part-time as you said earlier in a conversation here. I think We've got to start to look outside the box. We've got to start to actually provide part-time leadership roles. But then if there's males in charge of the senior team, they've got to start to be encouraged to look outside their role. And what I see in the in the, in the male environment is those um, driven, they they need to reduce their work. Where they've got to stop, males have got to stop wearing that badge of honour that longer hours, working harder is what should be seen in a management team. Uh, and I, I'd like to challenge the male leaders out there, one, to add female energy, whether it's part-time or full-time to their leadership teams, but also to reduce their kind of masculine um, and alpha approach to leadership in terms of more space, creating space for time and thought, not demanding more and more. I don't know if I've answered your, your questions there, but I certainly think there's a, there's a, there's a role within my teams that would be for full-time females, but also for that part-time adaptability. Thank you, Dai. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and it, and it could be potentially quite controversial, couldn't it? But for me, it's about identifying the qualities that you need in leaders and those leadership styles and whether they are male or whether they are female, but making sure that you have those opportunities for, for everybody, I think is really, really important. So, so thank you very much. Uh, uh, thank you for that. Um, okay, if I can come next then to Helen. Um, Helen King is a head teacher of a school in Abergavenny of Plantilio Patholi. Welcome, Helen. It's lovely to have you with us. Um, so, would you like to ask your question? I would just, um, you've sort of alluded to, to some of this. You were talking, talking about being kind and being a, an umbrella. Um, to mm. your staff um, I was just wondering what strategies you find effective because we need to try and that, find that balance between outside accountability um, it's all very well saying don't worry about exams but we have to um, uh, and, and accountability and not taking too much um, keeping staff motivated um, without taking too much onto your own shoulders and being kind to yourself and 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 making yourself go under because this is a, a really tough job um, and um, it's really easy for us to think oh I'll just do that I'll just do that so what strategies do you find effective to prevent that? Thanks for that question Helen it's great and I, I really do understand um, the pressures and the, the government, you know, results-driven basis. I mean, it's unbelievable in the school I've been in at the moment. I see, feel I'm recording five and six sets of information. I think, first of all, it's become unreasonable for you guys, and it's got to be lobbied up. So if I can align it to demands being placed on me by a board of directors in my role as COO in Hong Kong, 
it was to represent the group that timescales couldn't be achieved. Now, I know that's not possible sometimes, but representation, I feel there was a complete isolation of the 12 boards of directors of the reality of what we were trying to do. And I, I sense, and I don't know for definite because I'm not a leader in education, but the demands being continually placed on you so that the government can get the statistics to make you guys, or we've been driven. And I'll, again, I'll come to that in my final thoughts. Representation app um, has got to be a critical element of it. And then the other area that I try and offer within your teams is anticipate, well, you don't need to anticipate your, your, your times of the year where you know that, wow, it's going to be manic and it's going to be pressure um, through the roof and prepare for it. Now, that sounds obvious, but simple little things like creating that space, insisting that staff, you know, get into that restorative niche within the, within the working week, providing, you know, um, physical sort of drinks, food. And I, you, you probably do all this, but... Um, offline, Christine was saying, you know, at the moment she's dealing with all the issues of parents ringing in and then having to do her reports until two and three o'clock in the morning. Maybe of the confidence, because I, again, I, I sense there's a lot of dictation out there by, by, um, by parents at the moment. Maybe put something out on the bulletin and say, unfortunately, I'm only available between X and Y to answer your questions. If I can't answer them today. I can answer them tomorrow, but I won't be staying and answering them till six o'clock and then I'm to stay up. Now, will that wind the parents up? I just think that open dialogue and vulnerability and communication, people tend not to understand the environment in which you were working in. And the more you can get that information out in the real world and, and, and parents start to understand the reality of teaching these days, um, the, the, the more understanding you'll have and the more... Um, empathy and compassion from from your you know your parents and your, and your students I don't know if I've answered the question there um and if I can pick up on on Neris's post as well about females experiencing the pressure and need to work longer and harder what I I agree with you Neris what I was talking about there was very similar in this situation I'm not suggesting for one minute you 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 are not um you're not asked to work longer than hours. I'm saying that males males forward it as a as a badge of honour. They hide behind it almost. They put masks on. When females are open, honest, talk about it. Males just push, push, push. Um, not all males, um, but what I'm saying is it tends to be that alpha male that pushes hard, not himself, but pushes others around him. You were very much more in touch with and empathetic as females. Well, that uh, that's answered that. It's, it's really interesting and I think it's probably a subject that we could talk about for, for a long time and it's quite an emotive subject as well, I think. Uh, yeah. So uh, thank you, thank you, Di, for those reflections and thank you to Helen as well for your for your question and to Neris for your, for your comments yeah, as thanks, well. Helen. Um, can I come to Sharon next? So Sharon Hope is an associate within the Leadership Academy. So Sharon, would you like to ask your question? Yes, certainly. Um, Di, can I first of all say thank you very much for your honesty and humility this morning. Um, I felt that as you were talking, so much was resonating. And, you know, I think that it was also very refreshing. So thank you very much. Thanks, um, I just I suppose thinking about the world that you've inhabited for a, a long time um, in terms of elite sport and some of the other things that you've you've been involved in. Um, 
And my question, I suppose, is how can we as leaders stay humble and honest in a world that has such high expectations of leaders, whether that is in elite sport or in education or in any realm that we're in, commercially or industrially, uh, whatever? How do we stay honest and humble? I, I, my immediate thought there, Sharon, is, is that, you know, should we as leaders be everything to all people? And I think when we become leaders, and I did in my early days, take on everything. I had to be this, I had to be that, I had, had, had the answers to everything. As soon as I started to share the love and as soon as I started to open up and become vulnerable and say, guys, I'm not good here. I, uh, I, I really can't push this any further. Um, you know, I was a young college principal. I think I got the role at about 37 years of age and after four years, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. There were maladaptive behaviours. I was drinking a little bit too much through the week. I was having a glass of wine. Uh, several glasses of wine and I could see my health deteriorating and the biggest learning curve was was to open that up and become an open up and expand what what Simon Sinek calls his, his circle of trust and you know I've been accused of micromanaging um, and I, I said you know not micromanaging guys that's all I need is you to be honest and open with me so I can we can talk about it and and, and talk about it in a psychologically safe space so that we can share the burden and we can all stay humble. So it's expanding and having the confidence as a, as a leader that you, you're not everything to everyone and that you need, in, for me in the, in the modern era, you need at least four or five leaders around you that one have got your back and, and will tell you if things are going wrong and that, that, that things and be honest with you without the fear of um, comeback and that they will share um, everything about the organisation, everything about what you were, are trying to achieve. And that keeps us on purpose. And it comes back to those values about opening it up at the beginning. And what is our purpose? What are our behaviours and what are we trying to achieve? And you've got to share those. And if you're sharing them and you're living them and you're behaving and you're showing those and you're modelling those behaviours as a, as a leader in your organisation, you'll get a following and a sense of belonging from, from your team. No, thank you very much, Di. Thank you again very much for your honesty this morning as well. Um, yeah, thank you for that, Sharon, that question. And thank you, Di, for your, for your reflections and your answer on that. And it is that, you know, I don't think we should feel worried or scared or ashamed about demonstrating our own vulnerabilities. That is part of our values. And, you know, I think that's part of our culture. And if we get the, if we get the culture right, then maybe that's, that's acceptable, isn't it? And we shouldn't be ashamed or, or feel any the less of a, of a person by doing that. Can I move on to Tim? Uh, Tim, who is a stakeholder within the Academy. Uh, Tim, could you come forward and ask your question, please? Welcome. Thanks, Christine. Hi, Hi Tim. Guy. Hi, Tim. Um, as, as a big uh, rugby uh, fan uh, and ex-player, I've been aware of your career um, for, for for many years, mostly as a coach, mind you. You'll see, I'm too young to have known you as a player. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, uh, I, what, what I what I'm interested in, we've been talking um, as stakeholders in the stakeholder group of the academy about um, transferable leadership skills, and my link is mainly with the youth work sector, um, an important education provision, but much smaller. Um, in numbers compared to teaching. Um, nonetheless, what, you know, we're keen on trying to get teachers and youth workers in the same room to understand each other 
better each other's principles and purposes, but also um, um, methods of leadership and such like. But what I what I was uh, interested in, in in understanding from you is your experiences in Wales um, and your from your experience in Hong Kong, which is quite a different culture. But uh, obviously, we know that they're a high performing education system. What have you drawn on from both of those experiences and the other side of that coin, you know, what have you sort of parked then, if you like, that uh, that, that haven't been um, yeah. as as productive or as impactful then? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Great question. And it's getting me to reflect straight away. And I'm, I'm able to reflect having put three children through the Hong Kong educational system. There's parallel systems in Hong Kong, um, which is the English Schools Foundation, and then the international schools, which is the English-based schools all of which has cost a fortune to pay your kids through. But um, the the other one is the obviously the local Chinese, and they are very, very different cultures, hugely different cultures. Um, I won't go into the um, the area of the Chinese schooling. Um, what I would say about the expat system and structure, my, my children have got no fear of failure, um, meaning it's a can-do kind of culture, Hong Kong. It's like give it a go, set up set up a little organization, have a go at a job. If it doesn't work out, bang, move on to the next one. So there's no there's no sort of shaming. There's no shaming in, in, in it not being successful. They want to be successful. And obviously the, the expat community are quite a privileged group of kids because obviously most of the 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 expat kids are over there because their parents are in um you know lucrative jobs or most of them I would have to say. And all of them go to what would be classified. My kids went to what I would call a high school, really. Um, but the key element of it is, is they, they, the transferable skills. My, my son's over here now doing sixth form. And he's just slotted in um, because he's got those communication skills. He's got those that openness. So that's what I'm trying, that connection, the socialization. That's the kind of thing that I brought back and tried to introduce um, to to the school I'm at now, and I guess as youth workers in schools, I think that's where um, it's the connection. And I, again, I'll go to that in my final thoughts. What have I parked? Um, I don't think I've parked anything at the moment. Um, I, I brought something back that didn't work at the school, which was very much a well-being based delivery um, and an ecological based coaching platform, which didn't work at this school because it's very much still a an autocratic kind of system you um but i'm not, certainly not parked it i intend to use it now in my next role and i'm pushing it out through forums like this so i'm quite determined to to create that you know ownership and uh, um that empathetic type of approach to coaching and teaching so um i'm parked too much at all um i've just actually parked a job that i came back to <laughs> i'll move on to I guess working hopefully back in Wales with with people that love my approach now. The message resonates with the quote then that uh, the biggest risk is not to take risk. Uh, absolutely, push your edge, and and I think you've all done that as leaders. Push your edge. You might topple over it a couple of times, but keep pushing your edge and enjoying life, and and do it with a smile on your face, and there'll be a bit of sadness. That, but again, emotions in your life are, are about having balance. It's, it's crazy to think we won't be sad and angry. While we are happy, you've got to have a balance of emotions. So, you know, there will be times when you fail and you'll be sad and upset and angry. And there'll be times when you succeed and you'll be happy and joyous. Life is about a balance. 
And so keep pushing your edge, guys, and, and keep doing it with passion and, and leading the way you lead. The fact you're on this webinar today is, is fantastic and you're, you're learning and open and humble. Thank you, Tim, for that. Um, that. That was great. OK, I'm going to come to our last question now, if I can. And it's from Jeremy Griffiths, who's uh, also one of the associates within the Leadership Academy. And Jeremy's the executive director of Caban. So, Jeremy, would you like to ask your question? Thank you. Yeah, morning, morning, Diane. I think morning, I'm a couple Jeremy. of years. I'm a couple of years older than you in the uh, in the Kinkoid uh, arches <laughs> kind of <laughs> regime. So uh, I can see Mark Isherwood smiling as well. There, he, he's he's perhaps the younger one. I don't know. Yes, he is and, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, um, thank you, thank you so much. You've given us. I was in a breakout room. This is a bit of feedback, really. The breakout room that I had, a couple of people uh, have already asked you questions, but it was a fantastic discussion. You really stimulated our thinking and that's 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 really good um you talk a lot about purpose and values and values leading to behaviors i'm just wondering how convinced you are that people actually understand we throw these terms around an awful lot absolutely do they they understand what they mean and how do you get how do you get that over to your teams purpose and behaviors boom jeremy Uh, values i understand because values have been banded on 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 your internet and, and and up and People come into the organization and go, Christ, yeah, there's those five values and, and, and they see them and they don't live them. And so my attempt in the presentation was to talk about address that, you know, don't don't I behind it. You know, I, I've been involved. They sit in a strategic plan and they dust it off every four years. And, and you see the values at the Welsh Rugby Union are a classic now. What are the values of the Welsh Rugby Union? I know because I've looked them out. Do they live them? Do they help? You know, and so, you know, I bet if you ask, 90% of, of people that work for the Welsh Rugby Union and what their, what their values are, they wouldn't be able to say. Now, they're in a people industry. So what values, so what I'm trying to do in the presentation, I live that love. I live my moral courage. I can see it as a behaviour. So if a student, for instance, here in a group of boys talks about a young girl, which which happened and sort of made a derogatory comment about a fellow f- f- student, I pulled him out. I called him out in front of the rest of the group. Now, I didn't shame him. So I just said, hey, that's out of order. Or I could have let it go. I could have pretended I didn't hear it. So for me, it's establishing what Damien said last week is those those trademark behaviours of your organisation. And then for me, that's your purpose. Your behaviours are your purpose. And if you get up and create those behaviours on a regular basis... That's my purpose. So if I'm feeling down, I get up and I do breath work, but I do breath work most mornings. I don't just do it when I'm feeling down. It's become a purpose because I know it's good for me. That's an example of my behaviours and it becomes a habit. So your behaviours need to become a habit and you live your values. Your values are intrinsic, but I think it's important you discuss it as a team. Yeah, I think we've got a way to go in our understanding in education as well, if I'm being honest. You know, you mentioned yeah. the Welsh Rugby Union, but I think Certainly, there's there's perhaps some work that needs to be done with us in education as well. Certainly, we can influence our own establishments. So that's what you've said is great. Thanks. Yeah. Make them come alive. Those values come alive through behaviours. Really make them come alive and live them and keep talking about them. Thank you, Jeremy, for your your question. And and thank you again, Di, uh, uh, for your vulnerability because I think you have shown that to us and shared that with us and for your your honesty and for keeping it real. Can I hand back to you, Di, now? 
for your for your final reflections and your your final thoughts with us to share. Thank you. Great. Thanks ever so much, guys, for for allowing me to come along. I, I'm. It's interesting how I've gone. I, I'm not going to summarise what I went through, but in a funny sort of way, the way in which the discussions have gone today, it is going to summary. But I'm also going to leave you with an organisation as a challenge. And I know there'll be feelings out there that die saying, well, he doesn't understand, he doesn't perhaps understand the, the, the pressures that you're under in terms of government figures and reports. And the, I, I really want to put my message over now um, that, that I certainly do understand. I've been a pa- part of it in the first two terms here, and I actually suffered from anxiety because of the pressures. I lived it. And this is why I've become more passionate now than ever. To, to try and push the, 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 the word out. The other, the other one in the room is that female male gender. Um, I certainly just think it needs to be um, talked about. And the, you know, the shaming, um, the shaming issues are completely different for male and female. Females feel shame when um, they need to be buttoned up, they need to be multitasking, if somebody challenges that, um, their image, their self-image. It's important to acknowledge that shaming in terms of male and female is completely different males feel shamed when they fail males feel shame around money not being able to provide they are very different and i think you should make that's all i'm trying to do here is actually we've gone pc and equality and everything but but let's make sure that we are different and that if we acknowledge that and we work with it particularly with our students and our management teams i think we'll have a more trusted and, and inclusive and a sense of belonging with the teams so I just want to finish up with leadership by abstraction. What is abstraction? Um, well, anything that separates our words from actions as leaders, it starts to impact on people and can have a dangerous effect. Um, and it can actually, de- I feel, it dehumanizes our, our leadership. And so why is that important? Um, well, if you just look at, we are teaching now, and I, again, I don't know how much you do, Certainly in the organisation I'm in, or I've been in, there's not a lot of consideration. They're still teaching this generation the way they teach, taught the generation before. But psychologist Gene Twinge identified, you know, some characteristics of the current Gen Z. They're the best educated in history. I have three Gen Z kids. Uh, the first generation to be totally digital. And here we come on to then, they have, you know, so there's real positives. They have excellent technology skills. However, you know, they, they have the shortest attention span. There's some great research out there in sport, tennis players not being able to concentrate uh, and actually a number of them knowing the score, 85% of knowing the score of the game going on on the court next to them. Uh, and our gen, my generation, picking up on what Jeremy said, the average concentration span was about six minutes. Some research says now that the concentration span of the current Gen Z kid is down to 40 seconds. Do we consider that when we are teaching in the classroom? They spend less time in contact with their friends. If you've got kids and you see them, they're on their phones, they're up in their bedrooms, they're playing Xbox, they're online. Even when they're in the room, they're actually texting. And of course, there's a high coloration at the moment to um, this generation has got it. Is it being reported more? Um, I certainly see my kids are addicted. My, my youngest is addicted to his is social media and I did a little experiment in a school in Hong Kong where I actually asked the kids to bring out their phones and put them on the front desk and the anxiety in the room was through the roof so I just want to represent this with Stanley Milgram 
in, in 1961, quite controversial. I don't know if anyone's come across it, but a Yale psychologist, he decided to investigate um, how obedience to authority and how people's moral um, moral codes and sense of right or wrong went out the window if authority, if leaders told them to do something. And what he did, um, and there's some graphics on the bottom, got two volunteers involved in the experiment and one of them would play the teaching role and the other would play the student. Now, unknown to the teachers, the 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 um, scientists, sorry, the um, the students were always scientists that had been planted in there, but they didn't know this because they did a random selection, but was which was fixed. So they brought in the teachers, and their role was to ask a series of questions, and if the students uh, got it got the uh, answer wrong and or refused to answer it, they were to administer a shock, and you can see on the bottom an electric shock. Um, and it ranged from a little twinge, minor twinge to danger and severe shock. And the last button on the list almost was just marked with three red X's, which indicated death, really. And there were there were there were four variations. Uh, one variation was the one you see there. The, the student and the and the, the teacher sat together, and they were at, they would have to put their hand onto the electric shock in order to administer the shock. The next scenario was the student sat away from, but in the same room, um, and the shock was administered where the um, the uh, teacher could see the shock being administered. The third was in a separate room where they could do verbal feedback, like it's hurting me, don't do any again. And the fourth one was in a separate room where um, they they couldn't. That's all they could do was thumping on the wall. So before they started the experiment. Um, every teacher, every person, uh, you know, expressed a, a concern about the experiment and they'd hurting, been, been hurting somebody. But they were told that they should obey the scientist who was stood there in a white coat with a clipboard at all times. And they were reassured that they should listen to what the scientist said. On the first command of refusal, the scientist would simply say, please continue. So if they decided they didn't want to flick, flick a switch, he would say, please continue. On the second, he would say, the experiment requires you to continue. So interestingly, no answers, but how far do you think you would go? Put a one in the, in the chat room if you think you would not go very far. Put a 10 if you would go all the way. How far do you think you would go, given the different scenarios? How much? How how many flicks of switches out of twenty do you think you would you would flick if you were given the experiment? The results are quite startling. Um, Capillian thought that Donny that two or three percent would actually continue, and the reality of it was that having the students in the same put put in the same place next to them, seventy percent stop within four flicks of the switch. Physically, physically in the same room, slightly, slightly down, 60% stopped. However, when they were in an, an opposite room, 35%, only 35% re refused to stop doing the experiment. 65% continued to flick the switches, which even meant they could have been killing someone in the next room. So what does this mean? And interestingly, after the experiment, the volunteer teachers insisted they could not be held responsible 
because they were being told by someone to do something. None expressed concerns over the student well-being. And furthermore, wouldn't take ownership, as it says there. And they were more concerned about their own skins. Nobody went in the next room to see if the students were okay. Just finally, for me, and relating this to currently to education, to COVID, to the situation we find ourselves in, in education, as I've indicated, over the, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, you've been asked to produce more and more reports, more and more stats, and report things very numerically. How many times do you actually report on the well-being of it? Yes, we put, yes, Jim has been doing well in school, but you have been put under a lot of pressure as a profession. As leaders, technology has allowed us to divorcing ourselves from humanistic approaches. So we can manage by email, we can manage by messenger. We don't need to have meetings, we can manage it by Zoom. So technology has affected our way in which we lead as well. And COVID surely has taught us that we need connection. The pressures that you guys have been under over the last 18 months has been phenomenal and surely has taught us we need to connect with the kids. And surely the statistics with the Gen Z as well where we are talking about, you know, the difficulties and the problems you'd experience, it teaches that we got to connect. And the more what, what the experiment is saying, the more we divorce ourselves from humanity through numerical abstraction and through the digital age, this is where it links in to Milgram's um, experiment that we are willing. So to become confident, so the challenge today I want to leave you with a challenge as, as leaders in, in, in the professions that you're in to become more confident and try and seek avenues through the, the relevant bodies to be able to report about our students and staff's emotions and well-beings. Openly talk about it, be vulnerable. Uh, as schools track pressurised government after this COVID that we should be looking at well-being statistics they should represent part of our cultures and, pre and present them with the pride and passion that we present being at the top of the league school tables and present them um, the way in which we present our, our exam results at the end of each year and I believe that humanistic leadership has to be full of empathy and trust and it's the only way forward for me so thanks for listening today guys it's been fantastic I've really enjoyed it bod wedi mwyn hair bennod hon o bodlediad yr Academy Arwynyddiaeth. Tan ysgrifiwch ar Spotify, podlediadau Apple neu Google a phedwch byth a cholli penod. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leadership Academy podcast. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts and never miss an episode.